0: What a special day. We've got candles and mood lighting out in the church. <laughs> As Father mentioned, after the, the homily and the intercessions, we'll have the special blessing of throats that we do at this time of year. And I was telling someone once that, you know, we Catholics are just, we have so many blessings, we don't just bless things, but we bless things with blessed things. So we bless the candles, and then we'll use the blessed candles to bless your throats, and just so many blessings, so many blessings. And there's a lot of joy, you know, around these celebrations. Historically, in many parts of the church, they actually continued to celebrate the Christmas season until today. Today would mark the end of the Christmas season, the feast of the presentation of the Lord. And it's not hard to see why, right? If you, in our readings today, we once more find ourselves back with Mary and Joseph traveling from Bethlehem into Jerusalem to present Jesus as their firstborn son in the temple, as required under the law of Moses. But why do we celebrate that? What's really going on here? Aren't they just satisfying the requirements of the ritual law that no longer really applies to us? What does this mean for us today? And to help us understand this, I want to consider the perspective of each member of the Holy Family, of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. We'll begin with Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn of a new creation, but he's also the firstborn of his mother. And according to the law of Moses, as given to us in Exodus, every firstborn male must be ransomed or redeemed. That's what the law calls for, for the firstborn male to be ransomed. He had to be bought back. That's what it means to be ransomed. He had to be bought back as the price of Israel's freedom from slavery because that freedom from slavery had cost them the death of every firstborn of Egypt. That was a price for their freedom. And that's why a sacrifice had to be made For every firstborn male of the Jews to buy him back as a ransom. That's what Exodus says. But Luke, in his gospel, doesn't say that Jesus was ransomed, he doesn't say that Jesus was redeemed, he says that Jesus was consecrated. Because, of course, Christ doesn't need to be redeemed. He is the Redeemer. He is the price that's paid for our ransom. He's the price for our freedom. And so Luke doesn't say that Jesus is redeemed in the temple. He says he is presented. He is presented. The verb to present also means to offer. He is offered in the temple. After leaving the sanctuary of his mother's womb, the infant Jesus sojourns in the desert of this world for 40 days before he enters into the sanctuary of his father's temple. And there he is offered to God for our redemption. A foreshadowing of the sacrificial offering that he will become for you and I on Calvary when he once again will leave the comfort of his mother's embrace and offer himself to God on our behalf. And what role does his mother play in today's feast? Well, the law of Moses, again, states that a mother is considered unclean for 40 days after giving birth. And after this time, she is to make a sacrifice for her purification. It is to be a lamb for a burnt offering and a turtle dove or a pigeon for a sin offering. But if she were poor, she would only need to offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. Luke says that Mary offers two turtle doves, so a poor woman's offering. But is Mary poor? Is Mary poor? Materially, sure, yes. But spiritually, she's more rich than anyone. She's also more pure than anyone. And just as her son had no need for redemption, Mary has no need for purification, but yet she submits herself to the law out of humble obedience, just as Christ submits himself to the law for us, out of humble obedience to the Father. So Mary comes to the temple, and she offers the poor woman's offering of two turtle doves. But she does not come to the temple without a lamb. She brings her son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As I said, she is spiritually more rich than anyone, and so the lamb that she offers is the most worthy. So when Simeon takes that child from her arms, he knows that he is receiving the spotless lamb for the sacrifice. And that's why he tells Mary that her child will be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself a sword will pierce. He predicts not only Jesus' passion, but Mary's compassion. Mary, the mother of sorrows, becomes the model of compassion for all of us Christians who worship a God who suffers with us. That's what compassion means, to suffer with. But what about the last member of the Holy Family? What about St. Joseph? Our bishop has declared this year, the year 2020, to be the year of St. Joseph in the Diocese of Charlotte. And so I wanted to end by reflecting on this silent member of the Holy Family. Our gospel today only mentions Joseph twice, both times in conjunction with Mary and Jesus. We're told first that Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then, after Simeon's proclamation, we're told that the child's father and mother were amazed at what Simeon said about him. We're not told anything else that Joseph did. We're not told anything that he said. We only know that he's there, and that he's obedient, and that he is amazed. Joseph had a unique perspective within the Holy Family has a unique perspective, that of fallen man. Both his wife and her son were free from original sin, but Joseph's nature was fallen, the same as you and I. Joseph had committed sins in his life, just like you and I. Now he was a righteous man, and so he struggled against that fallen part of his nature, but it was a struggle for him. Virtue was something that he had to work at, just like you and I. He was aware of his faults. He was aware of how he didn't always trust God as much as he should, including when his Savior was conceived in the womb of his betrothed. So what must that journey to Jerusalem have been like for Joseph? Out of obedience to the law, he takes his wife to be purified, even though she is more pure than any human since Adam. He takes his son to be redeemed, even though he is the redeemer of the world. He takes his son into the temple, fully aware of whose son this really is, and whose house he is taking him into. His son, as man, will be obedient to the law. But his son, as God, is the lawgiver. And Joseph will have to teach him that law. His son is God-made man. But Joseph will have to teach him how to be a man. His son will become strong and grow in wisdom. He will grow strong by working at Joseph's side. And he will grow wise by following the example of his mother and father. Joseph's probably thinking, well, I don't need to worry about his mother's example. But what will he learn by watching me? Is it any wonder that St. Joseph is silent? What could he say? What could he possibly say? If I imagine myself as St. Joseph, looking at that child being carried in the arms of his mother, the only words that come to my mind are, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. when we contemplate Jesus as the object of our worship, as our God, when we reflect on the purity of Mary as the object of our devotion, you and I are like St. Joseph. How can sinful man stand to live that close to perfect charity day after day? It's like the prophet Malachi said in our first reading Who could endure your coming? Who can stand when you arise? St. Joseph found himself at ground zero. That's where he lived. And that's where you and I are called to be to live with Christ, not just in our homes, under our roofs, but in our hearts. How do we do that? How do we stand to be that close to perfect love? The only way to do it is to cling to that awesome and terrifying beauty with all of our might and never let it go. Never let anything get between us and the love of Christ because we know that we're nothing without him. That's what St. Joseph did. That's what you and I must do. There's a tradition in the sacred art of the East that I've recently become aware of, and that is that they never depict St. Joseph alone. They never paint an icon of Joseph by himself. He's always shown either with Jesus or with Jesus and Mary. And that is as it should be. It's as if St. Joseph is telling us, I am nothing without Jesus. I am no one Except who I am to him. And so it is with us. We are nothing without Jesus. The only thing that matters in life is who am I to him? Who am I to him? So as we enter more deeply into this year of St. Joseph that our bishop has proclaimed, let us ask Joseph for his protection. Let us enter into his silence and awe. Let us learn from his wisdom. And above all, let us follow his example and never be seen apart from Christ.